0: Amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as uh, you do, let me just uh, tell you of something exciting coming up here in a couple weeks. I just want to make note and have you make note of this. Put it on your calendar. On September 8th, uh, we have a vision meeting for our church plant that we're planning. Uh, we're just asking the Lord to lead us in planting a church in kind of the Franklin Township area, or, uh, kind of southeast corner of Indianapolis. A couple weeks ago, uh, we told you all of that, of getting Pastor Joe ready to go 15 to 20 mi- minutes east of right here and to see another church plant planted. And, and uh, you might go, man, I knew we were going to be a church planting church, but I didn't know we were going to plant churches that close. Um, we, why we are is because as you look at just the sheer number of people who are now settling on the south side, um, and as you uh, look at just, gr- there's other great churches on the south side doing amazing work, making disciples, preaching the word, uh, but it seems that the south side can use more of them. Uh, from the epicenter of Franklin Township, uh, a five-mile radius, there's about 90,000 people with 2,000 more homes planned to be built this next year, and uh, instead of asking them to drive over to us, uh, and we do have about 175 adults that drive from that area over here to us, we're saying, what would it look like for us to go to them, and to be a church that plants churches, yes, far, and yes, in other parts of our country, but even uh, uh, planting neighbor churches here, where we can really uh, see the kingdom grow and thrive, so September 8th, there's a vision meeting for that, it's at the classroom at the base of the stairs, what we're calling our Connect classroom, Uh, and uh, would just love... Even if you're like, I don't know if we would go be a part of starting another church, but at least go to that vision meeting and hear what the vision is. And you never know what the Lord will do in your heart. And so September 8th, after first service, show up early that day and uh, come to that meeting. All right, if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 John, and if you need a Bible, you will find one under a seat close by. And uh, if you uh, don't know where 1 John is in that Bible, start at the back of your Bible and just kind of work backwards, and you will quickly stumble across this letter we have at the end of the New Testament. And now I'm going to confess something to you as a preacher. I hate to preach introduction-less sermons, but I'm going to preach an introduction-less sermon today, okay? I've learned something in four years of preaching. Uh, When I come to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and the Lord still has not given me a clear introduction, don't force one, okay? We've all sat through the sermons that started, and you're like, where is this guy going right now? I don't even know what he's saying. And so as Saturday, yesterday morning rolled around, I'm like, Lord, I still don't have an introduction for this. And then I began to look at the book, and and you know what's unique about 1 John? Uh, So often when we turn to a letter in the New Testament, we're used to seeing, hey, Paul here, uh, an apostle of Jesus. I'm writing to you, and here's why I'm writing. And w- look, look, at the, look at how 1 John starts. I don't think God gave him an introduction because I don't really think John has much of an introduction here. He just gets right down into it. See, so all ready to get right down into it? Let's go. 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, Which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And so right from the get-go, like as John starts this letter, I I mean, kind of picture yourself walking out to the mailbox, getting a letter out of your mailbox. There's no return address. It doesn't start with dear so-and-so. I hope you're doing well, and I hope the family's good. But you just open it up, and it gets right down into it. That which was from the beginning. And now I I believe there's great purpose in why John starts the way that he does. And I believe there's some themes that even as John is starting here are really, really important that set the stage for this book. And so um, I want to kind of organize today's message into what I'm calling three buckets. Three buckets, three themes that I think we see in the first four verses. And these themes are this, uh, the true Jesus, true fellowship, and true joy. I believe John is starting very, very uh, purposefully with these themes here. And these three themes, or these three buckets that we're going to be looking at this morning, they're not um, disconnected. They are very much interconnected. And um, to connect these and how I think this passage is connecting them, I will say this this morning. Our joy is complete when we are in fellowship with the true Jesus and others who know him. And so I want us to see this right from the outset this morning, but uh, let's ask for the Lord's help before we uh, dive in and chop up his word here. Father, would you come help us now? Uh, Lord Jesus, you, uh, right as John starts this letter, he is just pointing the spotlight right on you. He doesn't waste any time getting right to you. He wants the sole focus to be right on you. He wants to reveal you he wants to unpack you. He wants to make much of you. And so, Lord Jesus, would you make much of yourself here as we study these words? Lord Jesus, would you reveal yourself to us in greater ways, in fresher ways, in a way, Lord, that we, when we leave church today, we will say we encountered Jesus because, Lord Jesus, that's why we're here. We want to see you more clearly, Lord. We want to know you in a deeper way. And so, Lord, I just pray, would you meet with us here in a special way? Holy Spirit, please do what only you can do. Take your word and drive it deeply into our hearts in a way that transforms, in a way that changes us. Lord God, I ask, do a great work among us. In your name, amen. Look right here again at just the first few words of this book. That which was from the beginning. And then he begins to unpack this. So this book starts with just this series of phrases. And these are kind of all flowing together, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, a question for you all. Who is John talking about here? He's talking about Jesus, but there's something we have to know about the way John starts this letter. There's some kind of funky stuff going on in the original languages. When this book starts, John could have said, he was from the beginning. John could have said, Jesus was from the beginning. But he starts and he says, that which was from the beginning. And it seems that in the original language, what John is trying to communicate, he's going, yes, 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 I'm talking about Jesus. But how often when we think about Jesus, do we think only about Jesus come in flesh, the one who walked 33 years on this earth as the God-man? John's like, I'm not just talking about Jesus like in his time here. I'm talking about everything that encapsulates who Jesus is. I'm talking about the Jesus who was from the beginning, the eternality of him, the transcendence of him. And I'm also talking about, yes, that he came to earth. I'm talking about not only who Jesus was, I'm talking about all that Jesus taught. I think what John is getting at here can be a kind of a hard thing to grasp in our finite mind. I think he's going, that which was from the beginning is all that we accept about who Jesus is and what he was taught when we accept the true gospel message. He's like, that's the Jesus I'm talking about. And now, right from the get-go, I think John's trying to elevate and remind us of who this Jesus is that we worship. And um, there's a passage in the New Testament that always elevates and reminds me of the, the full weight of who our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. Colossians, Colossians 1, let me read this to you. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he's supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and what? And for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together Christ is also the head of the church. Say amen to that, church. He's the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And so when John starts here, he doesn't just say, like, he, he gets to this, this, this Jesus who drew near. When he talks about we've heard him and we've seen him and we've looked upon him. But he starts, he says, that which was from the beginning. Jesus didn't come into existence on Christmas Day. He has always been. And here's what's cool. He will always be. And then John is like, now get this. That God we heard him like he drew near that eternal transcendent god we experienced because he came near and he took on flesh and he's like as an apostle we heard him teach we we have seen him with our eyes and then this seems like he's just repeating himself. It seems a bit redundant. He says, we've seen him with our eyes. We looked upon. So that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon. Why does he say that twice? Why is he like, I saw him and I saw him? Um, the Greek here of looked upon, it, it kind of gets at this. We, um, to gaze on something till you grasp it. So he's saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw him come in flesh. We saw, like I saw him physically with my own eyes, but but you also need to know this. I saw him. I, I get the spiritual reality of who he is. Compare that to like Judas Iscariot, who betrayed the Lord. He saw him, but he didn't see him. He he saw him with his physical eyes, but there was no spiritual understanding or life that was birthed from it. John's like, no, 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 you have to get this. We saw him and we saw him. Oh, and I'm praying for any who've just grown up in the church who've just seen Jesus, but you've never seen Jesus. That today would be the day the eyes of your heart would be open and you would go, I see, I finally see him for who he is. I've always saw him, but now I've looked upon him. I have gazed on him until I've grasped him. That which we've seen, which we've looked upon, and now get this, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, I said at the outset, this is such a different introduction than what we're used to in Paul's writing. Paul, again, Paul, Paul's so direct. I love how direct Paul is. He's like, hey, Paul here, um, I'm an apostle. You're probably going to want to listen to this, and so um, here's why I'm writing to you. Though I think John starts with such a different tone, I think it's a very pastoral tone here. I think he knows these people. He's shepherding them. I also want us to see what he's doing. He's reminding the people he's writing to of his apostleship. Hey, I was there. I heard him. I saw him. I touched him. He's reminding the people he's writing to that he's a reliable witness and source to who Jesus Christ is. Now, why would that be so important? Because remember, as we set the stage for this book last week, one of the things we have going on here, a main reason why John is writing this is, um, as we get to chapter 2, we're going to find a, about this group who went out from the church here. It says they went out from among us, but they never—they were never of us. They've gone after this false teaching, and we'll get more into that as the book goes on, of kind of this Gnostic understanding, this, what it meant to be truly enlightened, um, that, that they really had knowledge of who Jesus really was. Was And John, as he starts this book, he's like, do you want to know a reliable source to who Jesus really is? I was there. I know him. I heard him. We got him. We touched him. John is reminding these people here that he is an eyewitness to who the true Jesus really is. Because it's, it's somewhere end of first century right here. And get this, already at the end of the first century, the same century Jesus had walked on the earth, you had all of these whacked out false teachings of who Jesus might really be. And John is bringing them back to go, you know, you want to you know who Jesus really is? Let me, let me tell you, because I was an witness to him. Um, when we look for reliable testimony... Even in today, we we look for eyewitness accounts. We know that reliable eyewitness accounts uh, uh, bring validity to something. Um, how many of you uh, were maybe at a sporting event or you're some historical event that the moment something happened, you're like, "We were just a witness to something that's going to be talked about for decades." How many of you were at something that when when you tell people, they're like, "You were there? You saw that?" How many of you would say, "I've been to something like that?" Huh? Who would be bold enough to tell us, where, where were you? Where were you when this happened? Yeah, Jeff. At The stage collapse at the State Fair. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna say it, you were there. Wow, wow. Who else? Yeah. Wow, wow. Hey, second service, I can't get y'all that excited anytime. We bring up Eli taking down Tom Brady. The place goes nuts. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Who else? You were there when this happened. Yeah. Oh. When the Michigan State Spartans shut out Purdue at the Breslin Center. Wow. That took some guts, Duran. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. That, I appreciate it. You know, as a Spartan fan, but that took some guts, bro. We'll talk more about that at small group tomorrow night, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, who can say this? Like, when you're in a conversation and, and someone's talking about someone relatively well-known and you're like, yeah, you know, I know him. We went to school together. Who would, who would say, like, I know someone that you would, wow, you really, you know that person personally. Anyone? Anyone? No one? <laughs> we don't know any famous. Yeah. George, like the Pacers, the old Pacers player, George Hill? That's awesome. Speech class with George Hill. Yeah. Whoa, can you reenact the singing telegram you did for us? That is amazing. Now, now I I I'm doing all this for a purpose. When we say we were there, where I know, I know them, instantly, instantly people go, whoa, 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 you were there, or you know them. Tell us, tell us more about them had a brilliant um, like history teacher in high school. He would teach us on like a wars. So you'd be sitting in a classroom environment and you'd be learning about a war and then they would set it up where you go videotape the testimony of someone in your community who fought in that war. Now imagine you were a high school student. What was more impactful? The classroom lessons on, on the details of the war or sitting in someone veteran's living room and listening to him recount being in that war? eyewitness people who are there John is doing this intentionally there's this group of false teachers that they are trying to ravage the church here they're trying to pull people away like oh you think that's the real Jesus? no this is the real Jesus this is real spirituality this is really what it means to be enlightened and John goes no listen to me I know him we heard him teach I saw the miracles I've touched him He's like, I will tell you who the true Jesus is. And listen to me, church. If even at the end of the first century, John was having to make a claim for what the reliable testimony of who Jesus Christ really is was important, how much more so in our century is it crucial that we look to the the apostles' testimony as we have it in the New Testament as the reliable witness of who Jesus Christ really is. We need to consider our sources when we're being taught about who Jesus is or what he's done. And so college student, listen to me. Consider your source. When When an agnostic PhD professor begins to wax eloquent on who Jesus is, and you're going, yeah, yeah, but but he's a Ph.D. and he's brilliant. You're right, he is a Ph.D. and he is brilliant, but he lived 2,000 years after Jesus lived. And um, John was there. He heard him and he saw him and he touched him and he watched it all. Um, I would say John is a greater authority on it than your Ph.D. agnostic professor waxing eloquent. Church, we need to consider our source when we look at who the Mormon t- church teaches Jesus is and i'm not trying to be am not trying to pick on anyone i'm not trying but i believe biblically the lord calls me as a pastor to refute bad doctrine that's out there and it pains me when, we, when there's a new believer in Jesus Christ, who have, and, and then all of a sudden a knock on the door comes, and a, a Mormon uh, comes, or a Jehovah's Witness comes, and, and here's what's painful about it. The terminology will sound strikingly the same. The doctrine behind the terminology is vastly different. Consider your source. You go, well, how do we know we're right about who Jesus is and they're not right? Because we're basing what the New Testament, the apostolic witness who says about who Jesus is. Um, these are religions created in like the 1800s, 1800 years after Jesus walked in. Just consider your source. Consider your source before you just take wholesale what some likable celebrity says about who they believe Jesus to be don't take your cues on Jesus from Oprah. And I'm not, I'm not picking on Oprah, but just don't take your cues on Jesus from Oprah. And I, and I wish I could say this, this, isn't, this, this isn't happening, but look, we, we know it's happening in our century, and, and we know the danger of like, all of a sudden, man, someone I really like, or they're really smart, and all this, wow, maybe that is right about Jesus, and you kind of have to snap out of it, and go, whoa, 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 whoa. What they just said is so contrary to what the apostles tell us who Jesus is. Why am I saying all this? Because I believe one of the themes we see recurring throughout 1 John is John reminding the people, here's who the true Jesus is. Here's who the true Jesus is. Here's who the true Jesus is. And right from the get-go, he is very humbly setting himself up as, I'm an expert on who the true Jesus is. Now, I want us to follow what he's doing here. So he says, that which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, verse 2, or revealed. We've seen it. We testify to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life. Now, look at that progression. John's like, we, we saw it. Plain and simple. We were there. Now you get into kind of some judicial, even courtroom language. I'm, I'm testifying to the truthfulness that what we saw, like, yes, this is the Messiah. So we've seen it. I'm testifying to it. And he's like, now I'm proclaiming to you the word of life. I'm proclaiming to you the eternal life. The life was made manifest. We've seen it. We testified to it. We proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. What are the next two words in verse 3? That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that. Okay, there is a purpose statement right here. We've come to a so that. So he's like, hey, I was there. I heard him. I saw him. I touched him. I can testify to you who the real Jesus is. I'm proclaiming this real Jesus to you. And now he's going to tell us why he's proclaiming this real Jesus to them. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have what's the word? You too may have fellowship. Fellowship with who? With us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So just see the connection now. John has just said, I'm proclaiming the true Jesus to you. Why, John? What's the purpose? Why'd you start your book like this? So that you will have fellowship with us. That you would, and we don't know, it's really hard to tell. Is the us there, John, talking about that you would come and have fellowship with the rest of the apostles who knew him? Or is he talking about in general sense that you would come have fellowship with all of the believers who have truly believed on the true Jesus Christ? But he's inviting these people, I want you to have fellowship amongst the other believers. But he doesn't just leave it as horizontal fellowship. He says, and our fellowship is with who? It's with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And now I want to I dive into this bucket of the message in a pretty good way. Because for so long, like growing up as a kid um, in church world, I thought fellowship, I thought all fellowship meant was punching cookies in the gym after the service. Anyone with me like church kids, right? And you're like, oh, it's fellowship Sunday. I go load up on punch. We eat cookies and I run around the church like all over the place with my par- without my parents ever knowing. That was fellowship Sunday, right? It- when John is talking about fellowship, I just, like, as I was studying it this week, I was just confessing to the Lord, like, Lord, I don't, I don't even know if I have, like, a full understanding of what you want fellowship to look like among the believers. Because, Lord, certainly you want fellowship to look like more than just, like, an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning. And surely it gets deeper than us just being cordial with each other. Certainly, like, you know, I was part of some sports teams that got really tight and close. But certainly, fellowship amongst the believers should dive deeper than the closest sports team I was ever part of, right? And and certainly, the fellowship amongst the believers should go deeper than some some tight-knitness of, like, a college fraternity, right? And certainly, the fellowship of believers should look vastly different than, like, the Moose Lodge, Amen, <laughs> right? But, but I think all of us in here, maybe I'm the only one, but I think all of us are in here like, Lord, teach us what fellowship really looks like. Because I think it's a really hard thing to just throw a definition up on a screen. I think we know, we know it when we've experienced it. John Stott says, fellowship is a specifically Christian word and denotes that common participation in the grace of God. The salvation of Christ and the indwelling spirit, which is the spiritual birthright of all believers. Now look at this language. It's our common possession of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which makes us, what's the last word? Which makes us what? Which makes us one. Think about the driving theme of Jesus' prayer in John 17. John 17, 21 says this, that they may all be one. One. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I'm just saying to start this series, I am hungering for the Holy Spirit to teach us as a faith family more of what fellowship looks like. Fellowship with the Father and fellowship amongst us, his body. And if you want to bake cookies and have punch while we fellowship, I'm all for that, right? But, but certainly it goes deeper than that. So, Lord, teach us what you want with your body to fellowship. Um, before I move on from that, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If you're in the room today and you're not a Christian, Um, I just want you to hear very clearly, God longs for fellowship with you, deep, intimate, personal relationship fellowship with you. And you might have walked into church today believing that there's a God, believing maybe that he's even a creator God, that uh, there's a God who made all this. You might even believe that God is good. And you, you might have this kind of good man upstairs or this grandfatherly figure upstairs. But I want you to hear with just as plain as you can. Our, our God desires fellowship with you. He wants to know you. And, and he's made a way for that to happen. In the very beginning when he created the first humans, um, he, he walked with them in the garden unhindered, unbroken, untainted by anything that we call sin. Um, Sin enters the world and it breaks fellowship with God. It breaks relationship with God. But God did not leave us in our broken state. He saw us in our broken state and he sent his only son to rescue us. This is the story of Jesus on a cross. This is why we sing what we sing. This is why we say every Sunday some version of what I'm saying right now because you desperately need to know that a Savior has come. His name is Jesus and he wants to reconcile you to God. And you don't have to live hopelessly lost in your sin. You don't have to wonder what's going to happen when I finally come before God one day. You can know. And that's what this book is about. It's about the assurance of how you can know. And how do you know, like, you're like, what do I do? How do I, like, what's the steps? God is so good to us. He knew that there's no way we could be good enough. We would never work our way there. We would always try as hard as we can, and we'd still always mess up. That's why Jesus came and lived a perfect life on our behalf. And the Bible says if you will believe in him, you will be saved today. You cry out uh, by faith in Jesus today, you'll be saved. Someone asks you after today, what are you trusting in to get to heaven? Your answer is Jesus. I ain't trusted. I'm trusting in nothing else. I ain't got I, I can't do anything else. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And there's something non-Christian you have to do with that today. You have to wrestle with that. Because God desires intimate relationship, fellowship with you. And Jesus has made a way for that. Now I'm proclaiming to you the true Jesus. I want you to know the true Jesus so that you can have true fellowship and we can have true fellowship. And now verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our, what? Say it loud, church. So that our joy may be complete. If there is no other verse that will make you hunger to devote the next 18 weeks of your life to this series? May it be that verse. An apostle who walked with Jesus Christ, was a close friend with Jesus Christ, is like, hey, I'm writing writing y'all something so that your joy may be complete. Let's listen to that, right? And so... The true Jesus and true fellowship with Him leads to true fellowship amongst us. And there's something in that inclusion of fellowship with God and fellowship amongst His believers that makes our joy more complete. Um. What what, what do we what do we do with this? Like, what's the application? All week long. All week long, I didn't have an introduction for the sermon. And all week long, I'm like, what's the application to this sermon? And I just, like, want to confidently stand up here and tell you today, I don't think there's, like, anything he's telling you to go do. (laughs) But I do think there's some deep truths he's calling us to just sit and rest in. I think one of these deep truths and, 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 you know, for you this week, if you got our series guide and if you don't have one, uh, we'll have more for you next week when you come in. But um, in your personal time in your series guide, take some time to wrestle deeply with who Jesus really is. Flip all over your Bible going, wow, this is what it says here that Jesus is. And listen, look at what it says over here of who Jesus is. And if you will just carve out time in your week, unhurried, quiet time to wrestle from the scriptures and the the eyewitness apostolic accounts, I'm telling you, your heart will be so full. It's all the application you need for the week. It will set everything else of your week in its rightful place. But just wrestle deeply on who Jesus is. Take some time in your personal study. Talk about it as a family when you gather for family worship. Talk about it as a small group. What does fellowship mean? And yeah, like, anyone else with Pastor Brock on that, like, really want to know, what does the Lord mean when he's talking about fellowship? I, I knew fellowship probably... One of the deepest ways, when I was on my undergrad at Wabash College, there was a group of Christians on campus that you just had to—you just had to live in one with. Or you're just gonna get swallowed up in college life. And I'm a freshman. I'm this little like green freshman, right? In the football locker room, we just had one of our first practices, and I'm all nervous. I'm like, I don't know who to talk to, and no one's talking to me. And I just started walking out the locker room door, and this junior—I'll always remember this. This junior sitting on his bench before his locker, he says, "Graham." I'm like, yes, sir, yes. Do you want to be my friend? I didn't say that. <laughs> but he's like, Graham. And I turned around. I'm like, what's up? He's like, you a fish or a man? And I was like, yeah, I am. He's like, cool. And out the door I went. And there, from that point on, they, the Christian group, they invited me in and experience fellowship with a group of believers on a non-Christian campus in one of the, some of the deepest ways I've experienced in my whole life. Wrestle with that in family worship this week. Wrestle with that as a small group. Like, what would fellowship, not, not, not just us, like, going to church for an hour and 15 minutes and then doing our two-hour thing, you know, on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, whatever. What does, like, real fellowship look like? What does that look like for us? Wrestle with that. And wrestle with Joy talk together, worship together. Man, when we know the true Jesus, when we're living in true fellowship, what kind of joy does that produce? I just think the application, so to speak, of the sermon this week, would you just go deeply wrestle with the awesome truths the first four verses bring out? And would you just find joy, delight, and rest in a deeper understanding of who Jesus is, amen? Our joy is complete when we're in fellowship with the true Jesus and others who know him. Church, will you just stand with me? My prayer for us is Jesus, would you show yourself more, would you show us more of who you are? And Jesus, will you teach us more of what fellowship amongst your body looks like? Jesus, as we study this book, would you make our joy more complete? Jesus, at the end of the day, as we just give our lives to studying this and doing life together, would Jesus, would you just, more of, more of you, more of you, more of you, because when there's more of Jesus, there's less of us. Jesus, we just cry out to you. You are what we need. You're all we need. We want you to pre- be preeminent. We want you to be the beginning and the end. We want you to be at the center of it all. We want you to be the foundation of our life. We just want you, Jesus, to be who you are. You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And why we need to give our lives to the study of this is because, Lord, we just are going to walk out of here and be bombarded with all this other stuff that wants to be our Lord. And it stinks. It's a bad Lord. But, Lord, you're so good. And even in these first four verses, you were there in the beginning. You weren't created. You're the creator. You didn't just come into existence on Christmas. You've always been, and you are, and you will always be. And yet, Lord, you, you didn't have to draw near. You could have stayed just transcendent and untouchable. And Lord, you came and you took on skin. You took on flesh and you taught us. You did miracles. You healed people. You were seen and you were heard and you were touched. Thank you, Jesus. And now, Lord, as John has said it in here, um, you who've drawn near and have been experienced, he's proclaiming that we might have fellowship. Oh, Lord, would you just create fellowship amongst us? Teach us more of what sweet fellowship amongst the believers looks like. Lord Jesus, do it for your glory. Holy Spirit, do and accomplish what you want this week. We love you. In your name, amen.